give you a moment to get there. Esther chapter 7, and I'll be reading the entirety of verses 1 through 10. Not that many verses, actually. I've done more than that sometimes, and less. So, Esther chapter 7, verse 1. Hear ye then the word of the Lord. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found a favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For he have, we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would, not, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther st- said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they had been drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was, uh, and the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence? In my own house, as the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, fifty cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai, Then the wrath of the king abated. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever and ever. And Father, we do thank you, Lord, for thy holy word. We do pray to bless it to our understanding. Lord, open our hearts that we might hear and heed and walk in accordance with your word and will. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, all through history, of course, there have always been people like this individual named Haman. There have always been these kinds uh, that have existed in our time, and, and here we have one in our text. But he is a man who has a lust, a severe lust for power and wealth and prominence. And so he is virtually willing to um, do almost anything to accomplish his purpose. And those who are like Haman accomplish their purposes, almost do anything, even if it means slaughtering a whole race of people, such as the Jews in our passage. Now, certainly you can look at the history of Rome with all of their uh, Caesars, uh, who were so typically violently corrupt, very evil, and you wonder how they could last as long as they did. You wonder How could that possibly be? Because a, a very long time for the, uh, the empire of Rome... Now, I remember Nero, Nero, who wanted to rebuild Rome, and he may have set it ablaze himself, and while he was blaming the Christians who lived there, okay? And so it is said, okay, no uh, actual proof, 
But it is said that he played a violin as it burned. Why would he do that? Because he wanted to rebuild Rome. Rome, rebuild it after his own desires, if you will, in the manner that he wanted. And so in the meantime, he would torture the various Christians at their ple- his pleasure. He would torture them for punishing them for burning Rome when he really set it ablaze. And then there was the infamous Caligula. You may have heard of his name in history and even the Bible as Gaius, uh, but his name is Gaius. But Caligula, who felt threatened by everyone and eventually was ready to kill anyone, he felt was necessary to do so, and he gave in to the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. I don't need to say a lot. He was a pervert of a man, okay? Caligula was, uh, if there ever was one, extremely cruel as well. Very, very cruel. He liked to torture people and watch it, watch them while they were being tortured. A very evil man. He even declared himself to be a god. And if you refuse to honor him as a god, then you die. So a lot of Christians would die under Caligula because they would not bow the knee to him and call him God or call him Lord. He certainly would not. A Christian would never do that. And Domitian was another, and Trajan as well, and and great persecutions broke out under many of these uh, Caesars, including Diocletian, who tried to completely eradicate Christianity, even as Haman would try to eradicate the Jews in his day. Well, later in the days of Queen Elizabeth I, some were unhappy with her reign, such as Mary, Queen of Scots. Uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, was very upset and didn't like... Uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth at all, and she had tried to have her poisoned, and she tried to have her killed in various ways. And eventually, Mary, Queen of Scots, was executed for treason. Okay, though Elizabeth was not actually in favor of her execution, uh, but yeah, she was executed for treason. Now, why did some? Why would they hate Elizabeth the first? Because she was a Protestant Christian, and some thought that Mary, Queen of Scots was a rightful heir to the throne, and she was a staunch and deadly Roman Catholic of her day, Mary, Queen of Scots. Nevertheless, there will always be sinners who think that they can get away with their sin. They will always think that, and they will always try to. They think, under manner of this, okay, they think, surely God will not punish me. After all, I'm not as bad as some other guys I know. Right? And so it's like, well... I don't think you can do that, (laughs) but they do nonetheless. But even in history, all of those rulers died. And in the end, they will stand before a holy God exposed in all of their sin. And when they see Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, standing as their judge, yeah, their hearts are going to be full of fear and terrified when they realize who they're standing before as they wait to hear their own eternal judgment And be cast into hell. And so the sinner will never get away with anything. They may think they're getting away with it in this life. They will not get away with it in the next. So whether thousands of years ago or just yesterday, they will stand convicted before Christ and they shall be ushered into the pit of hell. To say they will bear the wrath of God due to them, due to their own sin, due to their willful rejection of Christ. After all, the wrath of God will be poured out on all of the ungodly. And we all know that here this morning. Now, unless 
They have a substitute for their sins. They will have to die for their sins. They will be judged for their sins. And they will experience the full wrath of God uh, unmixed and undiluted. Okay, extremely powerful wrath and a mighty wrath waits for every sinner before the wrath of God because it must, the wrath of God must be satisfied. And it will be satisfied. And I'll expand more a little bit later on that as we go along. But now we arrive at chapter 7 in our text. Haman has been humiliated by having to show a great honor to Mordecai It was a very hard pill for him to have to swallow. And now he hopes to go to another feast and possibly, you know, with the king and the queen and possibly uh, have a better day for himself by drinking a little bit more. But today for him is not that day. All right. It is not that day leading us to see in verses one through six, the sinner exposed and terrified. Now, if you remember, Esther has kept her Jewishness hidden from everyone in the king's court. And she was following the advice of Mordecai. And all was going well for her until this particular plot of genocide by Haman is forced, really forcing her hand to go and do something about it. Okay, so she feels forced now that she must do something and stand up and say something. And so the king and Haman went to a feast with Queen Esther. And we are now on the second day of the feast in verse 2. And they were all drinking wine together after the feasting. Okay, Now the king will ask Esther, this is the third time publicly, third time that he said these words to her, except now he refers to her very formally and I think adoringly as well. He says, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. So in other words, all is now ready for Esther. Okay, She wants to speak. Uh, she's been waiting for her timing. All is ready and she is going to reveal her request and her trap for Haman has been set. Everything is in place for her and is all going according to plan. Now, with this third pronouncement by the king to grant her request, he is apparently guaranteeing a positive reply to her wish and her request. And she answers very uh, respectfully and humbly, again, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and it pleased the king, uh, using these uh, expressions uh, she can think of, uh, and she does, but remember... The king has a great and mighty ego. He has an ego that cannot be quenched. And he could, if she says the wrong thing, if she hurts that ego, he might turn on her. And so she is very careful. If her response is less than respectful, less than honorable toward him, it could result in her death. So after saying that, she said, if I found favor and if it pleased the king, She has let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold to be killed and to be annihilated. And we have been sold, if we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Yeah, it would be a really big loss for the Jews, but yes, uh, for the king, he would not have as many servants anymore in his kingdom. But notice that she makes a distinction 
between her wish and her request. Because the way he, he asked his question is in two parts. She's going to make her request in two parts. And that's very smart, by the way. Very, very, uh, very, very bright. And notice uh, she makes that distinction. Her wish is to save her life. And that immediately gets his attention. And her request is to save her people. Now, she has bound, uh, actually, she has bound herself here with her own people. She's identifying herself with her own people. Whatever is going to happen to them will happen to me. And, and she knows that, and so she is phrasing it in this manner. So she is ready then, because Jesus spoke about Moses, she is ready to go and suffer with the people of God. All right? She's ready to go and do that if necessary. Um, absolutely. So she grew up. Uh, real fast under Mordecai's teaching and instruction. So if they kill the Jews, he says, essentially, um, he's going to kill her too. So very quick to point all that out. Yes, if the Jews are killed, I'm one of them. I will die. I'm your, your queen, you know, your, your, your favorite uh, you know, wife and bride and all this. So she is, in essence here, begging uh, for her life and for the life of the Jews. She said... We have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed. Remember the, the money that Haman paid into the hands of the king and all that? Uh, sold, uh, to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And by the way, the words uh, for destroy and kill and annihilate were the words used by Haman in the edict in chapter 3, verse 13. So she's repeating the words of Haman here. Yeah, and Haman immediately picks up on that from his edict that he prepared and signed okay, with the king's stamp that he had for his ring. So she used his own words against him, and so all this would be remembered. Now she said, if we had only been sold into slavery, uh, that she would have stayed silent. But they were sold to die. So she speaks. And slavery was one thing, and yes, they've experienced slavery many times in the past, but extinction would be horrific. Extinction would be horrifying and terrifying and also contrary to the plan of God. And so Esther dares to mention it to the king and she mentions that our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. And why is that? Because the Jews in his kingdom make up a lot of people in his empire. He had a lot of people in his empire and a lot of also income and all that. Now, when Haman told the king he wanted to destroy these people, he used a word, and this one I found out was really interesting. He used a word that sounds very much like the word for enslave. The very, they sound alike. Depending on how you say that, how you say that word that's there, it sounds very, very similar. So the king, when he heard it coming from uh, Haman, probably thought, that Haman was offering the silver, this is just potential, offering silver to make slaves, a large group of these people in his empire. So they were destroyed, and of course to enslave, and the Hebrews sound very similar. And so he seemed shocked that Esther said he sought to destroy, kill, and annihilate her and her people. He seemed surprised by that, uh, and that would explain the reason why. Yeah, Haman used a word that could easily be misunderstood. Now the king asked her in verse 5, Who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? Who could possibly do such a thing? So this was a threat upon his own wife, and he likes Esther. 
Okay, he loves us or he cares about her. He, she is his queen. All right, so who would do that to his queen? And Esther said, shouting, a foe and an enemy. And she would, this wicked Haman. Right there after so many feasts before together. And naturally, Haman, hearing him identified, is terrified. He has been caught. He's been exposed in all of his treachery. And he feels naked before the king and the queen. Yeah, he says, I'm going to die. And he realizes that. He knows that the danger is very real to him, uh, probably for the first time in his life. Now, certainly, this came as a shock to the king. He didn't remember giving permission to exterminate a certain people, much less Esther. Now, remember, he didn't know that she was a Jew. The king didn't know that it was the Jews that Haman wanted to enslave or kill. He did not mention them by name. He just mentioned a people among your empire, all right? So Haman is caught red-handed before the king and the queen, caught red-handed, and his crime, his sin, has been revealed to the king, and he's fearful for his very life. And so there's no time for remorse. There's no time to save himself. He won't even try to follow the king into the garden to go in there and explain himself because he likely thinks he'll just execute me out there. But remember, the wages of sin is death, right? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But the wages of sin is death, and all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wrath of God abides on every sinner. It abides on every sinner, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ, our Lord, His Son. Their salvation in Christ, salvation is held out for those who truly believe. There is where we find forgiveness extended to us, uh, to all those who turn from their sin and turn to Christ. And on the last day, Jesus will have all the nations gathered before him, and he will separate them as a sheep from the goats, and the books will be opened. And if you are not in Christ by faith, you will be caught, terrified, and exposed in all of your sin, and you will see that you are certainly guilty and deserving damnation. And so you see a little bit of parallel how Haman is feeling here, being caught before the king. So I do pray, of course, uh, for your salvation all the time, and I do pray that if you have not, that you will confess your sin and embrace Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. And I always like to use that expression freely offered in the gospel. But look at our second heading in verses 7 and 8. Here we see that the king's wrath must be satisfied. 7 and 8. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, thinking she would be more uh, you know, uh, easy to persuade. For he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the palace uh, where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Okay, Yeah, we don't read about that too often, right? Where they basically put a bag over his head. All right. <clears throat> 
But here, the king, we see, was outraged by what has taken place here while he was in the palace garden. So he's outraged, and, and I noticed that Haman didn't follow him out there. He probably thinks that the king will kill him on the spot, like I mentioned, but it's probably correct to think that. So what does he do? Now, the scripture tells us he goes in there to beg Esther for his own life. Now, at one point, Esther was begging the king for her life and her people, but now Haman is the one who's doing the begging. Remember those reversals that we spoke about? This would be one of those, all right? Well, in verse 8, the king returned from the garden to where they were drinking wine. And what did he see as he's walking back in there? He sees Haman falling upon the couch where Esther was. That looks really bad. And there's a reason why it's really, really bad. It's a big deal. Uh, he didn't see this as Haman begging for his wife. He saw this as an assault upon the queen. And why is that? Well, you have to understand, in ancient Persia, during these times, during these days, no one, no one was to come within seven steps of the king's concubines or his wife. Not only is he within seven steps, he's on the couch. Yeah, that looks bad, and that's a death penalty automatically for that. And this was Queen Esther, of course, and not just any queen. Uh, he should never have gotten that close. He should never. He could have fallen to the ground at seven steps away and groveled before her if he wanted to, but he did not do that, and so he seems to fall upon the couch, whether it was an accidental fall or kind of leaning and then whatever it might be, regardless. Uh, but Haman was simply begging Esther. It looked bad. It looked bad to the king. He was simply begging her. He said, the king, will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's head. Now, of course, the queen, uh, she remained silent. She would never dare to correct the king. So understand that she would not, you were not free to correct the king in those days, all right? That was not, not like a president here nowadays. Uh, they would not do that at all. Now, Haman will not be charged with trying to kill the Jews. That's not why he's going to die, all right? He will be falsely charged with the attempted assault, which will result in his death. Now, Ahasuerus is more worried about her assault than the Jews, okay? So, uh, they cover Haman's face, and they cover his face as a ritual, is a ritual covering of his face, probably like a bag over the head, and meaning that his fate has been set and determined. When they covered his face, that means he is going to die. Very, very simple. In verses 9 and 10, Harbona, there present for all of this, he was one of the eunuchs, told the king, of a publicly known fact. Everybody knew about this uh, out there, outside of the king's uh, court. Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, 75 feet high. So two times we are told that Haman built these high gallows to hand Mordecai, to really hang him. Uh, so yes, there is poetic justice in all of this, a poetic justice. Haman will have his final comeuppance, if you will. And I had to look that up, how to properly hyphenate that, comeuppance. Uh, but, but yeah, he had his final comeuppance. And hearing the words of Harbona, the king said this, hang him on that. He built it for Mordecai, who saved my life. 
you go out and hang them on that and hang them high for all to see. So they went and they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai and says the wrath of the king abated. After all this wicked man, he must bear the wrath that he deserves, the king's wrath. Now, Eric Ortland, uh, he was a commentator, he said this. He said, the Bible repeatedly testifies that God governs his creation in such a way, this be providence, right? Uh, in such a way that evil tends to destroy those who practice it. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, in Proverbs 26, 27. So only the death of Haman would satisfy the wrath of the king. Or abated is one way to phrase, make it lesser and all that, but, uh, but that would not be enough. He would require the death of Haman to satisfy Now we all know, the scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all know that the wages of sin is death. And we know that God, who is holy and just, must judge the sinner. And the sinner must bear the wrath of God. One exception. Only one exception. God sent his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God's wrath must be satisfied. And why is that? Because I mentioned he is holy. Not only holy, the thrice holy God. And he is just. And he is perfectly just. And as a perfectly holy, just God, he must and will judge sin. Remember the Bible says one who sins must die. Right? If you are not in Christ, you will and must bear the wrath of God yourself. So if you're not in Christ, you will bear it yourself. The full, unmixed, undiluted, highly concentrated wrath of God that's been mountainizing, if you will, all your life. Okay, so the the sinner must repent and believe upon Christ. But God sent his son to bear the penalty of our sin. He sent his son to endure the wrath that we deserved. And so we need a substitute. If we do not have a substitute in our place, one who is fully man and one who is fully God, you'll bear the wrath yourself. And that's a terrifying thought. To fall up into the hands of an angry God, as Jonathan Edwards would say. Jesus came, of course, to be our penal substitute okay, upon the cross. He came to take the penalty for us, to endure, yes, the penalty of death. And yes, he came to bear the wrath that we could never bear. You imagine if you had to bear the wrath of God yourself for all eternity. Only Christ, who is the Son of God could do so, but by faith in Christ, God's wrath is perfectly and completely satisfied. And through him, we have peace and hope and forgiveness and love, joy and all this. We have all the great benefits in Christ, but only Christ himself satisfies the penalty deserved. Only Christ bears the wrath that the sinner deserves. And so, yes, those who are not in Christ, all the rest of the world, if they know not Christ, if they do not have Christ as their Lord, their Savior, as their substitute on the cross to die for their sins, then you will bear the wrath and you'll stand before Christ on that day and you'll be declared guilty. But yet today is the day of salvation. Today is that day where the wrath uh, 
Christ bears the wrath on your behalf by faith if you do. And I do pray that you'll turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. I do pray that if you have not, that you will trust him alone for the satisfaction of your sins, for the satisfaction of the wrath of God that we all deserved. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for thy holy word. And Father, even here in the life of Esther and, and the king and, and Haman, Lord, what took place there. And we see how even an ungodly king, O oh Lord, would, would not be satisfied with anything less than one who did so much evil. But, but Father, we know and we, we read in your holy word that your wrath is really uh, abounded so high against those who who hate your son, who those who rebel against you. And Father, I pray for many that they would be turned from their sin, O oh Lord. Turn their hearts, Lord, by your Spirit. Break those hearts, Lord. Open their hearts like Lydia, that they may hear the words of the gospel and turn and believe for the salvation of their souls, Lord. And Father, help us to walk in the grace that we have in Christ. Lord, to bear witness of Christ to those around us, whether we are among the ungodly, the wicked of our day, or whether we have family and friends, but any of those who know not Christ, Lord, that we might bear a simple but effective testimony, a witness, uh, Lord, a sharing or declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For they must hear of Christ, and they must believe. Oh, Lord, I pray, use us, Lord, each one, in a mighty and powerful way. Father, we ask and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.